At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat for a moment. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand up here in just a few minutes as we read the scriptures together. But I do want to say it's a joy to be with you. And uh, as uh, Joe was saying, my name is Paul, and I'm pastor of care and Christian education at the Troy campus. Uh, we're not from Michigan. My wife is from Michigan. And uh, God called us to Michigan just a couple of years ago. We were in Ohio before that. And I've got two of my kids here with me, two out of three. And my wife, unfortunately, couldn't join us today. She works on Sunday afternoons. And so things like this are hard for, for her to do. But um, your campus pastor is really a wonderful guy. I don't have to tell you that. But he just has a fabulous reputation among the Woodside staff, and he is really treasured. So uh, I think it's awesome that he's in Guatemala with the mission team. A funny story about Jordan. So Jordan was uh, at the special needs family camp, and I was there, Alexa and Lucas were there, and lots of other people. By the way, you should come next year, okay? You should come next year. But I'm sitting there, they were serving nachos for lunch one day. And I'm sitting there at the table with some of my you know, friends at the camp, and all of a sudden, Jordan comes up and he says, Pastor Paul, what's this? And I looked at my plate and he took my plate of nachos and he said, they're nachos. <laughs> All right? So he, he played a wonderful joke, but uh, we love. It is, it is really one of my privileges to, to be the pastor of uh, the team that has the special needs team. And Greg McDougall, our director, does a fabulous job with that. And uh, I just hope that um, uh, you guys experience some of that joy as well. Well, as I said, being from Cleveland, uh, we were uh, celebrating my oldest daughter's birthday on a late September evening. And being in downtown Cleveland, we, we, we wrapped up our events there and we headed back to our home. But before we headed to our home, we wanted to take a little detour. The big news in Cleveland that time of the year was that extreme home makeover was in town. Now, if you remember this show, we loved it. We were amazed by it. And basically what happened is that um, a construction crew would, would come in. Well, first a family would submit, hey, this is why we believe our, our home should be made over. And there was always some, you know, heart-inspiring story, which was just like, oh, yes, like we want to help you. And, of course, the crew, uh, led by Ty Pennington, would get on the bus, and, and then they would show up at this house, and they would knock on the door, and, and they would basically say, you're chosen. And then they would take the family and send them on a Disney dream vacation for a week, and when they came back, their house would be extremely made over. It was such, I found it to be such an inspiring show. And as I thought about this sermon today that we're going to talk about, one of the things I think that show really did well was it created the sense of anticipation of something that would be made new. 
it created this not only for the hour-long show that a family could watch, but for the family itself. Oftentimes, these were single moms, or they were families with some sort of special need, or something like that. And it built up this huge anticipation of this is what you have, and we're going to make it over so that you can have something amazing. And as we look at the passage today, that is what God does for us, except to a much more nth degree beyond our imagination that I think even John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Revelation 21, had trouble explaining it. And I believe the only way he could do it was through the power of the Holy Spirit inspiring him. So with that said, I would love for you to stand up and read the passage with me. We have it here on the screen. Go ahead and stand up. I love to do this wherever I preach. It's Revelation 21, 1 through 8. We're going to be talking about the big idea that God makes all things new. We're going to see the new reality. We're going to hear about our new home. And we're going to receive the promised word, capital W, of course, referring to Jesus. But the Bible says this, and you can read along with me if you want, in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these are the words of the, sorry, for these are the words of the trustworthy are true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Father, we come before you, and I just pray for our time. We, of course, come praying for the team that is in Guatemala. Would you please work in their lives but also in the lives of those they are serving. May the gospel go forward, not only by action, but by word. So, Father, we pray for great opportunities for them to share the love of Jesus with the people that they are serving. And, Father, thank you for those who are gathering here and at all of our Woodside campuses. Father, we also pray for those who are gathered at other Bible-believing churches. May the word go out powerfully this morning as the saints are encouraged and the lost hear the gospel. Father, we thank you that all things will be made new, 
And I pray that we will not only live in the joyful reality of being in Christ now, but with great anticipation, we will look forward to what you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> well, here we are in Revelation 21, 1 through 8. I hope you've enjoyed the series, and it's been an amazing series. And I also hope that you have taken the opportunity to not only read Revelation leading up to this series, because that will make this even more vibrant for you, but that you are taking this in as a way to see the reality that death and Satan are defeated and Christ is victorious. Now, as we look at this passage, we're only two chapters away from the end of the Bible. And you think about that, that's a pretty amazing thing. As you look at the scope of scriptures, of course, you have from Genesis 1 and 2, the beauty of the created order, where there is perfection in Adam and Eve, and there is fellowship with God, and then, of course, the tragedy of Genesis chapter 3. And when you think about the context of the Bible, from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 20, you see the impact of sin on this world. You see the impact of it. You see the impact of, of man trying to reach God on his own accord, and you see the impact of God providing a means by which people's sins can be forgiven only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only through the gospel is Genesis 3 through Revelation 20 applicable to those who believe. It's the only solution we have for Genesis 3 through, through Revelation 20. But here we begin to see the end of the, how do I want to put this? The end of the terrible impact of sin. Now, as we begin to look at this, one way to put this is Jesus is making this time known to his people. Going back to last week, of course, we had, <coughs> excuse me, we had the great white throne judgment. And in verse 14 of chapter 20, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Evil on this world, or at least the ability of evil to seduce human souls, has now come to an end. And we turn to Revelation 21, and here's this beautiful picture being communicated to us for those who have put their faith in Jesus. As you look at this, we know that Jesus, go back to the gospel for a moment, go back to Easter, Good Friday and Easter, and Ascension Sunday, think about this, we know that Jesus is conquered, right? And when he ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father, we know that he said, I will come again. And what we're seeing here is the reality of the consummation of all things when Jesus will finally fulfill that promise and he will make all things new. Now, as you look at this passage too, you see that not only has Jesus made it, but he's made it through faith, we make it as well, and we will experience the beauty of the reality of his new creation forever, forever. Now, this is a really important point for us. Because as we look at this reality, this new reality, we see that in these first few verses, <coughs> excuse me, it is laid out for us. This is what John said. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. When you begin to think about this reality, you begin to understand the reality in the context of Genesis 1 and 2. People often wonder, what will heaven be like, right? And Jesus didn't really describe a lot of what heaven will be like. But what we do have is we have the best description here, and I think we have a taste of it in Genesis 1 and 2. So as you think of Genesis 1 and 2, and you think of all things in the beauty of the Garden of Eden without sin, man is in the presence of God, you have this amazing picture of what it is like to actually live with God. And so we can take this kind of context from Genesis 1 and 2 and apply it to, thank you so much, and apply it to our understanding, and we begin to see that the picture that God is making for us is being filled in completely. Now, as we begin to see this reality, notice it's a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Notice that God is not making a new heaven and a new earth out of nothing. What he's doing is he's taking what he has created and he's taken the reality of the fallen world, Romans chapter 8, where we're told creation is groaning for its creators. There are basically birth pains going on in this created world. This is why we have sickness. This is why we have illness. This is why we have funeral homes. This is why we have hospitals. This is why we have earthquakes. This is why we have tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes. And this is why we have a sea that just literally consumed people this week. This is the created order groaning for its creation. And what God does is he takes that which was made in perfection, but which was distorted because of Genesis 3 and sin, and he takes that and he makes it completely new. And go back to Extreme Home Makeover. If you remember that show, it was very interesting, I thought, because I believe it was seasons one and two, they actually went in and they renovated the homes. They took the existing structure of the home and, and they renovated it. Well, this was very interesting, and I guess my understanding, I'm no carpenter, this created a lot of difficulty to take the existing structure <coughs> and to make it new. But that's what happened. Now, it was about season three where they decided, we're just going to go in and we're going to get rid of everything and we're going to build brand new. Now, either way you look at it, this is what God is doing. He also says here in verse 1, and the sea was no more. This is where reading Revelation becomes very important to help us understand what this actually means. When you look at Revelation, you, you, you will see that the sea plays an extremely important part in the cosmic battles that take place through Revelation. The sea is not the place of life. The sea is the place of death. The sea is not the place where those who are on God's team, so to say, reside and they, they come out of the sea to rescue everybody. No, the sea is where the enemy resides and where evil lives and where we're told that evil comes out of. So you see this idea that evil is wiped away completely. You see that here is God making all things new and the sea was no more. In verse 2, it progresses. And I saw the holy city, 
the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Once again, you go back just to chapter 19, verses 6 and following, and you see the marriage supper of the Lamb. And here is that beautiful imagery that John uses and is consistently used through Scripture, where marriage is metaphorical of the relationship that Christ, the groom, has with his bride, the church. And this is what John said, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, right, this is one of the most beautiful parts of a wedding. Who can forget, if you've been married, you cannot forget, men especially this, you cannot forget that beautiful moment where you're waiting and you haven't seen your future bride. And there you are and the music plays and the doors open up and there is your bride beautifully adorned like never before. That imagery never leaves our minds. It never leaves our hearts. The beauty of that moment never escapes us. And the only thing that John can use under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help us have a little taste of that is that special moment in a person's life where the bride is seen for the first time. He goes on to say this in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them Excuse me, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This brings us to the second point where not only are all things made new, but we see and we hear about our new home. As John is describing this, notice a few of these things. One of the things that is highlighted is the reality that you will be with God. Notice, he says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The reality of our relationship with God for those who are in Christ is that you will be with God. It's no longer this thing that I have to look forward to. It's no longer this reality that is there after my earthly death. It's no longer this this thing that I can only imagine from what Scripture tells me. The reality is made real. That's what it means, reality, to be real. And you look at the pinnacle of all of this. The pinnacle is the presence of God. As you look through Scripture, you see that there has consistently been the community of God working to try to relate to the presence of God. As you go through Scripture, you understand, and this is where our reading of the Old Testament also helps us understand our reading of Revelation. In the Old Testament, of course, what happened? Well, Adam and Eve were, of course, in the presence of God. After Genesis 3... They were not in the presence of God. Think of Moses and think of the Exodus. What happened there? Moses 
was consistently invited, well, I won't say consistently, but more than anyone else, invited into the presence of God. Now, keep in mind, of course, the study of Exodus tells us really no one else was able to be in the presence of God except for a select few. Moses primarily, we read the scriptures, we see Joshua was invited up to Mount Sinai. We also see in Exodus 24, there were the elders who saw God and ate and drank, which is an amazing passage to look up and to understand. But the way in which the people of God dwelled with God was God protected them from seeing his presence. How did that happen? Well, during the Exodus, you had a fire by night and a cloud by day. The Spirit of God made known his presence with the people in a visual way. You also had the creation of the tabernacle, which is where Moses himself would go into the Holy of Holies, and he alone would present himself before God as the mediator between God and man. Now that would ultimately point us towards Jesus, who is the one mediator between God and man, who died once for all. And as you begin to see this throughout Scripture, we hear about the presence of God and the place of God. This becomes simply known as, as heaven. And here, the reality is finally made true for all of us in the sense of not only knowing about it, but experiencing it. Moses experienced the presence of God on Mount Sinai and when he was in the Holy of Holies. Jesus, of course, God himself. And there in first century Jerusalem, the people experienced the presence of God in the man of God who is also the Son of God. A unique time in all of human and salvific history. But for us, this reality of being in the presence of God of having an Adam and Eve type of experience, of having a mosaic type of experience, of having a walk with Jesus type of experience, of having a what we hope for being fully realized experience becomes a reality here in Revelation 21. We hear about our new home. Well, what is it like? Once again, we don't know exactly. Is it about those dreams that we have of perhaps myself, endless pizza buffets? Is it about having the opportunity to nap any time that you want? Is it about having that earthly pleasure that you just really enjoy? Well, not necessarily. Are those things going to be there? I don't know. I don't think it'll really matter because what Scripture seems to point to is that we will just be so overwhelmingly overjoyed being in the presence of the creator of the universe and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what scripture seems to point to, is that we will be with God himself and we will be fully satisfied unlike anything we have ever, 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 ever experienced. I remember a few years ago, we took our kids up to Mackinac Island for the first time. And we decided to splurge one day for the Grand Hotel Grand Lunch Buffet. And if you've ever done that, you know what I'm talking about. There are these foods that you don't want to try, but you need to because you're never going to pay for it anytime else. 
There is endless smoked salmon, which I loved. There is endless pastries, which I loved and my kids loved. And it is a beautiful, grand buffet in the fullest sense. As fun as that was and as glorious as that was, heaven will be so, 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 so much, much, much better. Look at the Garden of Eden. Heaven will be better than the Garden of Eden. We look to Moses in the presence of God. Heaven will be better than Moses in the presence of God. We envy the disciples because they got to walk with Jesus Christ. We look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Heaven will be better than the experience that they had walking with Jesus, being with Jesus, seeing the miracles of Jesus. Our future home will be better than all of that. We see also in verse 4 what life will continue to be like. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It is the end of pain and sorrow. I heard an interesting report this week on the news. It was one of those reports you hear where you're like, how am I supposed to take that? Am I supposed to be encouraged that for the first quarter of the year, car deaths are down? Yeah, I'm encouraged by that. But I'm also saddened by the reality that there were 9,560 lives that were lost in car accidents in the first quarter of this year. That's mind-boggling. And then you begin to think about every one of those car accidents likely had a family member who received a phone call or a knock on the door. Or there was an EMT that arrived at the scene trying their best to save the life. Or there was an emergency doctor who was there helping, doing all they could humanly possibly do to save a life. And then there was the morgue that held the body. And then there was the funeral home that was called. And then there was the funeral in which the person's life was remembered. And then there was the family that was mourning and the family friends that came and wept with them. And hopefully the pastor who was there telling these people that Jesus loves them. And then there was the graveside in which the grave was dug and the grave was filled and the grave had the dirt put over it and the headstone was placed. Here's what the Bible says is that will be no more. Praise God, that will be no more. The result of the gospel, the achievement of Jesus, is life for us. And the conclusion is a heaven that is beyond our imagination, that has this type of description, which speaks and ministers to our hearts. We move on. The third point is we must receive the promised word. John goes on and he says, write this down. The angel says this to John. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. This is actually Jesus speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. As Jesus is making this proclamation to John in this second to last chapter of the revealed word of God, he wants the readers to know. He wants the churches that are mentioned in the beginning of Revelation to know 
He wants the church for the ages to know, which is you and I to know, that Jesus is the beginning of all things and he is the end of all things. He's making it known that I am the beginning of the book and I am the end of the book. And what he's implying here is I am in control. I am the one who has overseen through my sovereignty everything from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. But notice what he also does. He says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You remember in John chapter 6, this would have made so much sense to John. Because not only had he received the revelation, but of course he received under the inspiration of God the gospel of John, the good news, which was John. And in John chapter 6, 35, there was John sitting at the feet of Jesus himself. Notice this is just amazing. There he is in John chapter 6, hearing Jesus say, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you remember when Jesus was at the well with the Samaritan woman? Whoever drinks from the well that I'm talking about will never thirst again. And there was John hearing the words of Jesus spoken in the gospel when Jesus was alive. And here he is face to face again in this revelation, seeing Jesus say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Don't ignore those words, without payment. It's a reference to the reality that you and I can do nothing to pay our way into heaven. There's nothing that you or I can do to earn our salvation. There's no number of church services you can go to, no number of prayers that you can pray, no number of money that you can give, no many times of communion that you can take. There are no amount of good works that you can do, and all those things are good, but not one of them earns your way into heaven. And Jesus is referring to the only thing that can earn your way into heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrected Messiah who said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, and whoever comes to me will never thirst again. It is without payment. Verse 7, the one who conquers will have as this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Most likely a reference to conquering sin, which was only done through Jesus Christ and belief and faith in Jesus Christ. But then in verse 8, it's very interesting. The tone seems to shift. The tone seems to shift from this beautiful picture that's being presented for us as to what we hope for to the reality for those who don't place their hope in Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus is telling John, just one more time, I want you to tell the people that they need to believe in me. One more time, I need you to tell them that if they don't believe in me, what awaits them is an eternity in a horrible place, a real place called hell. And what Jesus does is he's telling this to John he says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, sexual immoral, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see what Jesus is telling John. 
tell the people, you are in Christ. You have received the word. You have received the word, and the blessing of what is presented in Scripture is for you. It gives you this hope of not only living in the now, but also realizing that I live in the now, knowing that I will go home one day to this extreme makeover, which is beyond my imagination. And somehow, John has made it known to us, this is what I can expect. But what is also happening here is the warning passage. A warning for you, if you are not in Christ, if you've not asked for forgiveness of your sins, if you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've not repented and believed in the only one who can save you from your sins, there is this one final warning for you. A warning, not yet a reality, but a warning that you need to believe in Jesus so that you don't look forward to fear, but you look forward to the realization of a beautiful heaven that is made available through belief in Jesus Christ. The call is to receive the promised word. Well, as we look at this passage, it is an amazing passage that John gives us right before he gives us more beautiful truths about what this new dwelling place will be like. And the reality is, as John is writing all of Revelation, we see this all through Scripture, right? The reality is, are you going to be there? Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Are you going to answer that door? And are you going to receive the word? And are you going to receive the promise that is in Revelation chapter 21? Or are you going to stand there and not answer the door? Jesus tells you what happens if that's for you. And our desire here at Woodside Bible Church is the desire that is communicated through Scripture. We want you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be available for you. We're going to dismiss here shortly, and, and the reality is I want you to go and I want you to be encouraged if you are a Christian. Not only encouraged to live for the future now, but to be encouraged to go and to share your faith with those that you want to invite into this future promise. But for those of you who aren't Christians, please don't leave without talking to one of us today. Any member of this church will be able to tell you what the gospel is, to tell you how to have the relationship with Jesus so that you can have this beautiful future that is communicated for us. All things new. God is making all things new. We see this in the new reality that is promised. We see this as we hear about our future home, which is beautiful beyond description. And we see it as those who have received the promised word. Let's pray. Father, to you be the glory. We come before you and we thank you for the beauty of Scripture. We thank you for the reality of what lies ahead. And Father, not only should we live in the beauty of your grace in the moments that we have on this earthly time, but may we also live in the future reality knowing that it is absolutely going to be amazing. And we thank you for that. So Father, we come before you. May your spirit work in our hearts. 
not only in the moment, but in the moments to come. And we pray for the saints to be encouraged and to go out and do the work that you've called us to do. And oh, Father, we pray for the sinners who are here. May they repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.